What is up, you beautiful people? Welcome back to another episode of the Built on Bitcoin podcast, where we cover everything going on in the Stacks ecosystem. Today, I have a conversation with the three founders of Truebit. Truebit is an application being built on Stacks, secured by Bitcoin, that's trying to change the relationship that we as consumers have with these platforms that take and hoard our data and then monetize it. They want to change that relationship and let us get back some of our value uh, that previously we didn't have before. And uh, one of the cool things too is they are from the Clarity Universe first cohort, which is the training program that the Stacks Foundation has been putting on to help onboard more and more developers to learn Clarity, which is probably the thing we need the most right now is just more and more people developing on Stacks. So this is the first potential big company that's coming out of that group, which is pretty exciting. So yeah, I won't ramble on too much longer. Let me just jump into this conversation with Stephen, Ian, and Saj from Truebit. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. I thought it'd be a good place to start is you guys are kind of newer on the scene for Stacks. So I think that a lot of people don't know your guys' backgrounds. And we could just go around the horn of like, what have you guys done in the past? What's your tech background or personal expertise? That kind of thing. And maybe we could start so with Steve. you, uh, Stephen. Yeah. Gladly. Um, yeah, so Stephen Dodge, um, we're actually, Ian and I are based out of Richmond, uh, Virginia, so East Coast, um, but my background is uh, comes from like a systems engineering, Cisco networking background. I was a systems engineer for about seven years, basically overseeing uh, one of the largest financial institutions, uh, data center, SAN environments um, in the US, and one of the largest telecom environments as well. A little bit of a sales background as well, but, um, you know, really love products and, you know, that networking networking uh, background is what uh, got me into Stacks ecosystem. And that's that's kind of a recap of what I do. Okay. Cool. I can hop in next. Um, so my name is Ian Major. My background is really in kind of data and analytics. So I worked as a, for a number of years as a business consultant, helping large consumer-facing companies bring the scientific method to their business. So think of a retailer uh, testing out new prices or launching a new line of merchandise, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so as part of that, you know, not surprisingly, um, one of the things we would very often help our clients with was performance measurement around marketing. Uh, and that kind of gave me a glimpse into the uh, rather cobbled web of, uh, you know, modern digital advertising. You know, you have all these kind of middlemen. And what was very interesting is, our jobs as consultants were helping our clients kind of find truth. Like you did this campaign, what causal impact did it have on these outcomes? And finding that truthful answer is just so extraordinarily difficult given how the kind of modern, uh, you know, advertising, digital marketing infrastructure is all set up. I think it, it, it parlays nicely into kind of uh, part of the philosophy of Truebit, which is helping to reignite this sort of truth between brands uh, and consumers that has sort of gotten lost in the mess of big tech and and all this stuff. So anyway, that's just a little kind of analogy, but that's really my background. Um, I also run a, uh, a Bitcoin YouTube channel uh, just with like how-tos and tutorials. So we've we've uh, all been, you know, pretty deep into Bitcoin. And I think that is a 
very uh, big part of why stacks, which we can, of course, uh, get into later. But Saj, I'll let you jump in. Sure. Um, so I have, a, I guess, a similar background to what Ian has. I primarily come from a kind of digital marketing, ad tech, martech, and data science background, uh, working initially with startups in fintech and e-commerce, and then the last five years with one of the big sex media agencies, Publicist Media. Um, that's been in Dubai. And what I've noticed, actually, is that walled gardens have increasingly got higher, um, and brands are kind of beholden to big tech platforms that are extractive. But the solutions that are coming out are, are not really great for the consumer still. They're still helping the kind of the B2B ecosystem. And so what we're trying to do with Truebit is bring that control back into the consumer lens as opposed to just the B2B side of things. Um, and also just speaking to different brands like big conglomerates about NFTs as well. And But what they want to do with NFTs is somewhat limited. And I think there's a much broader opportunity that we can address with Truebit. Okay, right on. And uh, how did you guys, because you guys are distributed, right? Have you guys met in person? No. No. What? So, so how did you guys meet then? How did you guys get connected? Ian and so, I way too much, but. <laughs> so um, Ian reached out to me through the Clarity Universe. We all participated in that, and there was a clear synergy. We all kind of uh, feel, uh, the, I think, in a similar way, of, of the role of Bitcoin in society, and the role of Stacks in helping materialize Web 3.0 and put the ownership back in the consumer's hand in a way that it's reliant on Bitcoin as opposed to some other proof of stake or proof of history chain, for instance. Okay. And so you guys just, you guys have only been in each other's ecosphere for like a couple of months then. Cause I think cohort one, I was in cohort one too. Oh, and, nice. and uh, I, like the first four weeks were great, but it was like super like video heavy. And I wanted to just like type and like do things, but the code academy int integration was kind of late. So I, I fell off and got big into just doing these podcasts. So while you guys were, were building and connecting, I, I did this, but uh, that's actually, that's actually dope. What did you guys think of the first cohort? Um, for me, uh, I really liked it. I've, I've dabbled with solidity and it's clarity is much more of a cleaner language for smart contracts in comparison. Yep. So I thought it was really nice. But what I would have liked, and hopefully this can be addressed in the future cohorts, is tying it into the front end with Stacks.js. I think that would be neat. Okay. You guys might be the first big company that comes out of that cohort. That, that would be a... That'd be a good flex for the foundation. Yeah. Uh, okay. So this idea of like taking back ownership, we hear about that a lot. And usually the way I hear it is like, you want to own your own platform almost. Like there's a lot of talk of like email mailing lists and where you go to the root of the user and you take back your entire uh, kind of like, you build your own kind of walled garden in a sense. You build your own moat. You guys are doing something different, it sounds like. Well, it's, it's almost like you guys are building bridges that companies and users can transact across. I'd love to just deep dive into that a little bit more about what, what does actually Truebit look like from the actual like use case? Yeah, take that one if you want. The um, So it's definitely a two-sided model. It's a marketplace um, of sorts. So we have the consumer side. Uh, and so I'll kind of walk you through the journey that we have, at least for like what we think the MVP will look like. There's the 
user that will come in and say, yes, I want to be able to, you know, control my data, own my data. Um, and then I'm a kind of essentially like a walking API, if you will. Like when I engage or interact with an app or a service, I want to be able to share my data on demand so I can have better experiences or get paid if you want to use it. And so what we do for the users, we allow them to onboard. They just, you know, either already have a Stacks wallet, um, but they will go in and actually like be a part of the creative process of creating their own personalized avatar that is then minted into a Stacks NFT. And so we're trying to do that with uh, like a, basically like what you would do with um, Snapchat or like Instagram with like the filters they have. They can like apply like a, a Guy Fox mask to their face and then they can hopefully like kind of edit it, customize it, applies filters, you know, things like that in the background, what, what have you. And we want to kind of gamify that a bit by giving them the ability to like, okay, incrementally add data elements that they've created, you know, from Web 2.0. Uh, to their NFT and they can get like different customizations to their avatar over time. So I think like, you know, I've created my avatar, I've gone in and I've added Facebook data, right? So that'll unlock like new capabilities to maybe, you know, change the color of my mask or, you know, like make a smiley face first, you're like nod or tattoos or whatever. Then it's like, okay, maybe next week I go in and connect or add my Instagram data and maybe I can apply like filters in the background, something like that. That's kind of the vision we have of giving the user something that's, you know, fun, engaging, and it's a way that they can go and kind of port their Web 2.0 data into Web 3. And then on the flip side, um, you have brands that'll go in and, as Saj and Ian mentioned, is that they're trying to find, you know, new, new ways, maybe not to just advertise at consumers, but to build communities with them. And the nice thing about this is that as users upload and port this Web 2.0 data, this is like actually the first party data that these walled gardens like Facebook and Google for so long have, you know, kept away from everybody. And so these brands are now getting access to that data um, that, you know, they have not had access to before, or at least have to like just trust Facebook and Google with, um, but they can go in and create their own NFTs and then intelligently match it with audiences like, you know, sneakerheads uh, is a good example, or like somebody that's interested in, you know, in Ian's pitch of like widgets A versus widgets B, um, but they can more intelligently like, send and publish these NFTs to these users that would be interested in them um, without having to, you know, pay all these, you know, fees and just lost transaction, um, you know, from these middlemen over time with, you know, ad tech, martech, they were, they're, I don't know what the exact figures would be, Saj, but you could probably speak more to how they just kind of nickel and dime you throughout the, uh, the campaign. Yeah. And um, one thing I'd like to add to that is something I was reading today, actually, in a book called Exponential uh, by Azim Azhar is not actually anything to do with uh, crypto web three as such, but he mentioned in that book, that there were elements of interoperability from these big tech platforms before they became big tech. They allowed you to take some form of information from say Facebook and use that in say LinkedIn or Twitter, or what have you. But it was some rudimentary version of interoperability. Of course, as they grew up, they removed that. And you, for whatever that interoperability was, you were relying on these big tech platforms. What we're doing now and what Web3 allows us to do and the NFT as a primitive allows us to do is put that in the control of the user. And then obviously they can work with various dApps to utilize their data in certain ways, right? I mean, the value exchange between brand and consumers to disrupt advertising is just one piece of the puzzle. But the, that use case of data ownership could apply to healthcare, could apply to so many other use cases, right? So just just to add that, yeah. And Jake, like embedded in how you asked that question, I think is a really important point, which is when we say like own, I mean, that's a big arc. Like there's a lot of things that can kind of go into that. And so as you just heard from, you know, Stephen and Saj, I think like step one for us is this idea that all of us have this kind of digital footprint that is really an extension of ourselves in cyberspace. 
And so the once we start really thinking of that as an asset that throws off X, you know, US dollars or X sats worth of monetary value every year, step one for us is really how can we take you from the 0% that you're currently capturing to 10%, to 20%, to 30%, right? And so like that's the first lever, you know, if we think of data sovereignty and what all that means, like step one is enabling the individual to actually benefit from the value that their asset rightly, you know, sort of produces. And then phase two, phase three, phase four, as we actually progress from 2.0 into, you know, 3.0, you'll have the rest of the kind of infrastructure to, to really enable like the full blown, you know, what we might envision of uh, when we say own and, you know, uh, privacy and all, all that good stuff. Interesting. Yeah. I think, I think that's totally on point is like the first step is make people aware of how their value is being extracted. Cause right now the kind of narrative is like, you get something for free. So of course they're going to just like extort you in a sense, but yeah. you get, you get Gmail and Facebook, whatever it is. Uh, but you know, it's like back in the day when you go to like a used car dealership, there was no Carfax, there was no Kelly blue book. So the asymmetry of information from the dealership to the user, like you knew you were getting screwed, yeah. but and, and you went into like an adversarial reaction, like you're my enemy now, so I'm going to get as low as I can of a price. But the more you have data, the more you're like, okay, just tell me the sticker price, tell me what you paid for it first, and then we can work a deal off of that. Yep. You guys are kind of working in that angle where like the more that people can see how much value Facebook is getting from you or IG or Bank of America or whatever it is, then the more you can make informed decisions in that same light of how, how much do I want to give this platform versus this platform. I think that's like critical too, because I think I've heard Mani mention it a couple of times, but it's like you've kind of made a world where or like Web 2's kind of made us like not value ourselves. We're just like, as long as I get a product or service for free, like we're pretty much telling these platforms, like we don't care. Like you can you know watch everything I do, take my data, go sell it, you know, earn all this, you know, billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, you know, every year. And it's like, I don't care. I just want the convenience and kind of entertainment. Um, so it's kind of like distorted really how we put value on ourselves, like we said secure Ian said security privacy like we've kind of thrown those out the door and now we're like looking back and we're like oh man we've created web 2 and it's in a way that we no longer you know see fit for society so now we kind of have to put forth the effort to you know rebuild it or at least get out of it um and that's just going to take some work like i'm sorry like not, not everything's super easy or done with like a click of a button but we're going to try to make it as you know easy as possible yeah i think um the kind of a web 2.0 style on ramp for the the average person who's not yet into crypto with the option of self-custody thereafter might be an option to explore um and also just the, the hook of earning passive income because everyone knows they're getting screwed in this current economic environment but they don't quite know how those who appreciate currency debasement those are the ones who are already into bitcoin but those who are not maybe the 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 kind of the carrot of earning Bitcoin yeah. as a passive income stream from monetizing your own data is that kind of entry point as opposed to, hey, currency debasement, Bitcoin is the answer, right. fix the money for the world. Hey, just simple, earn passive income. And that's yeah. maybe the kind of the hook for the, hopefully the the, the average people, average person, normies, I should say. Yeah. That's what okay. you said earlier. I think it was maybe Ian or sorry, you Jake. Um, but yeah, that's like 
you know, they kind of want an enemy, you know, it's maybe not like kind of the wall street bets or like occupy wall street to a degree, but you know, like people are upset. We know the big tech screwing us over and that we kind of want to be able to have some way to have influence over our data. Cause it's not necessarily the privacy. Like, I don't think like uh, Ian says it well, but it's like, I don't really think people care about privacy as much as you would think. It's just like, I want to at least have the benefit or part of the value exchange that's going on with my data, or at least have say an influence of over when it's used. Like, not necessarily just I want to own my data, hoard it, and then never have anybody use it again. Sure, there'll be those people, but um, I don't think that's a future we want to live in because we're not, you know, we're not denying that commerce is good and data exchanges, you know, necessarily just bad. Like there's there's pros and cons to each, so we kind of need to take the best of both worlds and you know and, and give people the tools to easily and enably share this data on the fly, so apps or buyers whatever can consume it with ease, and you just get the value or hopefully the majority of the value. Interesting. Yeah, I think I think there's like a there's like a, a a balance between what we deem as fair in relation to our options on the market. And it's like with money printing, uh, is it fair that a government can just you know inflate their money to like infinite? Probably not. But there wasn't anything besides gold to really like anchor against until Bitcoin happened. And it's kind of the same thing with like. I recently deleted my Facebook. I was just like, there's nothing good on Facebook. I don't want it anymore. I log in, I get a little notification and I just get angry. And like, there's, no, there's, there's nothing good. So I deleted it. And at first I was like, man, I have like 10 years of photos and I got friends. How am I going to connect with them? And like the network effects were strong. And then I'm like, I'm just going to text anybody that I care about and everything else I'll just figure out like on the fly. And it's been three weeks now. And they give you, they give you 30 days to like reactivate if you want to before they delete it. But it's going to delete. Like I don't want to go back to Facebook at all, and so it's blood it, pressure is probably down. Like I know. feel great, man. It's, it's, you, you look it's great, fantastic. Man. <laughs> yeah, I'm glowing. I'm glowing. Uh, but yeah, it's. I think that once you once you have a new option, and like what you guys are doing, where uh, once you have this data too, I can see that other marketplaces can then kind of like springboard off of what you guys are doing because you can like, it, yeah. Anything off of that? That's, I think that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I think um, data layer, just a human data layer. Yeah, and I also think data. like the nature of networks are going to very much change in this kind of new realm of you know crypto, DeFi, Web three, etc. Like, I, I think we're careful to sort of give credit where credit is due. Like, I I, I think it would be wrong to say that Twitter, Facebook, all these platforms have contributed zero utility to humanity, right? Like, obviously they have. Obviously the interconnectedness of different communities uh, is is a valuable thing. Um, and that's reflected in the way that, you know, people have flocked to these, to these platforms. But we've seen the kind of double edge of that sword over time, as Saj was alluding to earlier, as you kind of craft walls that attempt to, you know, keep people within this sort of system, uh, and as you just said, Jake, when whenever you have fewer and fewer and fewer kind of options, you start to see all sorts of kind of adverse, you know, uh, reactions, things that probably couldn't have been predicted early on. And so I think we're going to start to see a lot more self-organizing in these new kind of peer-to-peer -peer sort of networks. Uh, and I think you're going to move away from the world where you need these massive behemoth networks just to kind of capitalize on a network effect. 
and it remains to be seen exactly how that is going to unfold, but that's my hope at least, you know. And of course, to enable the construction of these kind of self-organizing groups, like data is of course important in that, in that to Stephen's point, like we don't want a world where data is not being used at all anyway, because that's, it's important. It's just the user needs to be able to define the, the use they're in. But yeah, that's one kind of loftier idea of like going from these kind of crafted networks to much more like emergent self-organizing networks on whatever layers we happen to see, you know, in the kind of new Web3 world. I think to your point, how you, I think initially said, you know, more related to like Bitcoin and how we can tie these together is like, if you somehow layer on like a data layer to Bitcoin, like that becomes extremely powerful. Um, but it's like, how do we break away? Like, again, like Bitcoin is about, you know, decentralization, that's a more secure network. How do we also do the same for data? You know, like Bitcoin's, I think, won the money argument or store value argument. How can we make sure that we do the same for data, um, but also like, maybe more importantly, like somehow append or make it like equally as difficult to like break this data network as it is Bitcoin. Like if you can somehow tie this data to Bitcoin, like imagine that it's like, you know, you have a network of data that we're just like, no, this is my data and, you know, nobody can hack it. There's no more centralized entities because that's an attack vector. They know exactly where to go, but it's like, no, this is actually so, so spread out and every individual has it. Um, you know, that's, that's very powerful for, I think, hopefully a future that's very prosperous and open. <laughs> and just to kind of add to that, I think that data layer is, is quite a powerful tool, a mechanism for personalization, for personalization you control. Right now, the personalization is based on what the website you're visiting has, has on you, based on cookies or device IDs, what have you, right? And they'll tailor the website based on your browsing behavioral habits. But what if that data lived in your data layer within the st uh, a Stacks wallet. And when you connect that wallet to authenticate yourself rather than username and password, but you use the Stacks wallet to authenticate yourself with the website, you get your personalized experience based on your what you toggle as your interests, as your past browsing or purchase history or what have you. You can control that potentially. And that's quite a neat and powerful concept that I don't think I've really come across anywhere else, um, but that'll be a neat solution too. Interesting. I'm trying to wrap my head around that in real time. Like, so is that kind of like how on Chrome I have like profiles where I can have like one, two, three, and they have different extensions or whatever? What, what might that look like in your conception? Being able I'm to toggle on things. Um, so within say a browser extension, a wallet, or through a hardware wallet, you can maybe control what is toggled on and off for a given uh, DAP that you frequent. So you can turn off, so you can turn off like uh, Bank of America. So my purchase history, you can turn that off and then it just switches in real time. I would Maybe. say you can like categorize these pretty, I'll say we're looking through how we kind of categorize this data now, because it depends also what data you've connected or uploaded um, or created over time. But yeah, I would say it'd be hopefully something like, you have either a parent widget or like some dashboard where you go and just say like, these are the general data elements that I'm willing to, you know, lease access to or provide access to for apps or services. And then you can kind of intelligently match that. It's like, okay, I'm like you said, going to the bank app, like they probably only need to know my financial data or something like it's going to know like, yeah, you don't need to share like 
other categories of data that are just unrelated. Um, you can if you want. Like again, we're not going to try to be, um, you know, like match makers in a sense, but just more like facilitate it. Um, but we don't know that underlying data. And I think to Sasha's point, it's like you can do this anonymously too. Like it doesn't have to like reveal anything about you personally. It's just your your address. Um, so even if you were to do that, um, we're going to try to do this in a way where it's like you know not individually revealing who you are it's just like it's going to give you the tailored experience based off that data if that makes sense it's almost yeah. like personalization on the fly mm -hmm. you know, yeah. in a similar way as to when you're authenticating with your stacks app like what's beautiful about that is the tokens are being passed back and forth between your you know let's say your hero wallet and and the app and there's really like no information being communicated to the server side it's all happening in the kind of client there oh, okay. and so in a similar fashion you could have instead of like the tokens for authenticating going back and forth you could have other structured data going back and forth that um again doesn't need to go to the sort of server side of whatever that application is and so you kind of unlock this like personalization on the fly again it requires whatever uh, dap that is to um, you know, to, to, to be kind of working within that. But I'll, that's a lot of what we're uh, scoping out now is how can we build out a standard that sort of enables um, not just us to deliver what we want to deliver, but also other builders within the ecosystem to be able to add, you know, new things that we haven't even thought of. Yeah, I mean, the primary concern of Trubit is value exchange between brands and consumers so that yeah. the consumer has more control and benefits. But the extension of that is what we just discussed, the, the kind of the data layer that allows you to authenticate and curate your own experiences on any DAP you like, right? That's that's the kind of ultimate goal, I guess, or one of the goals, I suppose. And it's going to have to come, like we said, like cookies are going away. Um, you know, we're kind of playing into like a lot of this is timing too. So like maybe to just summarize it and show like all the angles that we think this is going to you know happen from is just because you've got you know gdpr data rights consumer privacy mandates and just you know probably frameworks that you know any online or digital you know uh app or service is going to have to abide by um and again cookies are going away so like they're going to need solutions like this then you have you know just consumers probably wanting this you know um, you know every time there's a breach it seems to be larger and larger so you're going to see like a lot of pressures you know coming from different angles that are going to probably push this um you know push this into reality whether you know we're the ones building it or not but i think to what uh one of you said earlier is like we're we're taking inspiration and have learned from you know some of these other platforms and services that have tried similar things as well um and i think like a big driver for this as well is like it goes back to bitcoin it's like if that is the incentive that is the you know carrot for people to do this you know like nobody wants some token that's worth a penny that they've never heard of or you know on some you know brands aren't going to come onto the platform if it ends up you know the transaction costs are extremely high um, you know, for maybe what might be like a micro payment. So like there's ones that have done it well. Like I think probably the best that we would know is, you know, Brave. I think they've, you know, admirable project, don't have anything wrong, but it's like, again, at the end of the day, who wants, you know, some token that's not worth very much or potentially, you know, might not be around five, 10 years from now. Um, and you're competing with like Chrome and Safari and these just natural habitats. Whereas I think you can, again, layer on top of them and kind of change the system within, which has kind of been our approach. Um, so I think like, it's a good way to maybe summarize like all the different ways that this is going to come about. And we just feel like we've honestly found the best way. And hopefully we can prove that. Very interesting. The personalization part is actually, that, that sounds super powerful. Cause if I hop into 
I think you have to be aware first of how your experience is being personalized. And most of us just kind of like browse the web and we just assume this is what YouTube looks like and this is what, you know, whatever site looks like. But when you go in incognito mode and you go to YouTube, it's a whole different website. Like it, it's cat videos and Mr. Beast. It's not, you know. <laughs> or pay for YouTube Red. It's like you can actually pay for a service. 100%. Exactly. It's like, you know, it's, it's paying not, for services isn't necessarily bad. Exactly. It's not It's not like uh, crypto all the way down the line like it is online. <laughs> so I think being able to toggle those things and then see the reaction, uh, it, it gives you more awareness. It's that it's that kind of like asymmetry of data again, where you can see it in real right. time and go, okay, cool. This is how they're tailoring it to me to make me click that thing and buy that thing. Wait, really quick. Are we all getting hit with the same crypto.com ad every time we go on YouTube? Obviously. <laughs> of course. They it's got like us every out. time I'm like, I'm not going to do it. Just like at least give me the option to be like, no. And it's just like, nah, you're going to, you're going to like this one year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just realized I don't have Zoom Pro. So I got a 10 minute warning on my thing. So let's learn for next time. Uh, but yeah, so we got 10 minutes to cover as much as we can. And I'd be remiss if we didn't cover how you guys are funding this business. Cause there's this new idea of NFT bootstrapping, which I've been fascinated by. And uh, you guys have a collection and I, I love the theme of what you guys are doing. So maybe you guys could talk a little bit about what you guys are doing to, uh, to bring this to life. Yeah, I'm happy to kick things off and you guys can add. So we we have definitely taken inspiration, as you've seen, from V for Vendetta. Uh, we're all kind of huge fans of that. And, you know, interestingly for, you know, no matter kind of what your thoughts are, like we've started to see over the last couple of decades, you know, more and more direction towards that kind of world. And so the spirit behind the, uh, you know, what sort of V's you know, revolution represents, I think is very much a nice encapsulation of what a lot of people are feeling um, especially as they see these different kind of crypto communities uh, grow and so we wanted to tap into that like real visceral power that people associate when they see the kind of you know v for vendetta mass which has now gone on to you know be associated with other uh, kind of groups and efforts and, and movements uh, and movement right that's kind of the key word but yeah we um, we've shamelessly taken a page out of the uh, uh, cycle playbook. So the good folks over at the Explorer Guild, I think as far as we're aware, we're the first within the Stacks ecosystem to do this. So they, you know, launched uh, their Explorer Guild NFT. And we, we had been thinking like, how can we do something similar within that, um, sort of crowdfunding or fundraising realm? Um, but you know, that just became a really, really clear option because you can now reward your earliest supporters in really, really unique ways. And so for example, what we're doing with the We Are V collection, which is actually comprised of two distinct collections. There's the Rose collection, which is 21 items, super, super exclusive and, and rare. And then there's the Domino collection, which is 250 items. And these will be these will be on sale on Stacks NFT on the 28th of December. And we'll have a whitelist sale specific to the Domino collection one day prior. And so right now we are giving out whitelist passes. There's a hundred of them. Uh, and so we're giving those out in our Discord. We're getting pretty close to that number. So I suspect by the time this uh, comes out, you know, if you're hearing this and are interested, go check out our Discord, um, which yeah. we have linked in our, uh, in our Twitter. But what we're really, really excited about are the benefits that we're attaching to these NFTs. So number one by far is a multiplier. 
that you'll get on any earnings you make in the TrueBit platform. Um, and we have kind of different you know, tiers depending on the, the collection, uh, but that's a huge benefit. And so our, our design of that is really to like return your capital as much as we can at least over time. And hey, you like still have this really uh, cool piece of art as well. Um, that, you know, maybe Stephen, you can speak to a little bit more on the artistic process, but um, that's the idea. Um, there's also other benefits. We've got, uh, uh, we'll have a, a shadow gallery. So like this was the name of his lair where he planned everything out, right? In the movie, you know, you had that really cool kind of museum-like uh, space. And so the shadow gallery for us is going to be, um, you know, anyone who has one of these collections is going to be able to really directly influence the development of the TrueBit platform. So to the point of like, like what's the next feature you want to see, right? Like th those individuals will get kind of, um, you know, first seat at the table to be able to help kind of direct our development path, which we feel is, a, is again, emblematic of this kind of, you know, community-driven ecosystem that we've, we've seen with Stacks. But um, Steve, Saj, what would you add? Hopefully I, I hit on most things. I'm going to just say how we created them a bit. You know, we uh, sourced these from commercial free images and inspiration. And we took some of ourselves, got like the whole Beaver Vendetta outfit, took a lot of pictures with them. So they're, they're fun. I got the, oh, I'm blurred, but I got my, my hat and, the, and some of the masks that we <laughs> used. Um, but it was fun. So I like, created some of them, um, sourced from others as inspiration. Some were open source, um, you know, commercial rights free. There was just like, where I was like, man, we could do some cool stuff with these. And then we would basically build like a uh, transformation transformation engine out. And you could think of it as like taking a actual photo, like a physical photo and kind of dipping it into a bucket, if you will. And then you could like maybe add like certain types of paint or, you know, finishes or whatever. And it was just like how long we applied them to it. Um, so there was like an engine that would apply like certain filters or other types of, you know, images and styles that we thought were really, really cool. And then we would mix a random number of those styles for different amounts of time against like these photos and then combine them. And then we we're like, oh man, these come out like drastically different than the originals or you have like some combining and clashing with each other. Like this is really cool. And so we we're like, let's do this further. And we just kept, kept doing it, kept doing it. So it had like three to eight transformations on each image, uh, again variably um but it ended up being like really really cool and it was tough to kind of get rid of some of those as we we're like no 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 i want to keep this one for myself um <laughs> so i'm not so good i was like oh this is not a good picture we took here but some of most of them turned out well so hell yeah um okay so i'm we have to cut this short um for those listening I know, it's just, two, get, I know it's just getting good. I know you want to say that I, I got tons of questions too I could ask, but Zoom is telling me I got to end this because I haven't paid for a pro plan. So make sure to call me an amateur podcaster on Twitter. I messed up. <laughs> we need more of these true bit guys. But uh, I, let's just end on where can people find out more if they want to get on the whitelist. Where can, where can people we're go? Getting close. Where can um, people find out more about what you guys are building? I mean, just find us on you know Twitter if they want. Um, the Discord is mostly for people trying to join the whitelist, but we did pop that in there as well. But they can go to truebit.tech. It's T-R-U-B-I-T dot T-E-C-H. That's pretty much it. Um, but we'll hopefully make it till Friday. I think think we might. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you're, if you're watching this Friday and the whitelist passes are gone, uh, fear not, because there, of course, will still be the public sale. Um, yep. Again, the, the whitelist mint will be 27th of December on Stacks NFT. Public mint will be on... Uh, uh, the day after on the 28th and we've got our uh, you can find us on twitter at truebit underscore tech website as steven just said truebit.tech 
And you can go, even if you don't, you know, get on the whitelist pass, you can still sign up for early access to the broader TrueBit platform, uh, which will also carry with it some interesting benefits. And so uh, it definitely pays to be early in that regard as well. So you can go to our website to do that. Um, and the broader platform, we're currently uh, hoping and targeting kind of Q2 of next year. So still a little bit of time uh, to go, but there's going to be a lot of really exciting stuff, especially with the uh, NFT drop between now and then. And we're going to be doing more and more in Discord in terms of, uh, you know, interacting with the community and really hopefully listening to like what people are excited about or want uh, as we build TrueBit, the platform. Love it. Love it. What you guys are building is super fucking cool. So uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys taking the time. Absolutely. No appreciate you having us on. We enjoyed the conversation. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. I know that things don't always go your way. But I'll be right here waiting. I've been waiting now. I've been trying to figure out a way to make it out. Make it out, cause I don't think about everything going wrong.